All right, welcome to another episode of the Michelle Mission. I am your host, Vincent Williams, here, of course, with my co-host and co-traveler, Len Webb. Yo, what's up? Highlight your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Triple of Black Triple's fame. And today, we are going to discuss... Robert Downey Sr.'s 1969's satirical cult classic, Putney Swope. It started last weekend at the L. Howard game. Girl, I saw your beaver flash. I'll never be the same. Oh, no. centering on the lead character, the only African-American on the board of an advertising firm. After the untimely death of the chairman of the board, through a series of, I guess, greedy on the board votes, meaning that no one else would vote for him, BCK, very instrumental in how he then celebrated by Dave Chappelle as being very, um, there are more uh, who are known. It also was very influential in filmmakers in its uh, very dark, high contrast, black and white is uh, juxtaposed color commercial vignettes, advertisements for their products, products such as the ethereal cereal. It's no shit. As well as face off, which is some type of like um, apparently does something to beavers. And I don't mean the furry type. Well, I guess I do mean the furry type, but I don't mean the four legged type of beavers. Um, it also opens you up to interracial relationships. It does open you up to there. There's a very cute one where it's a, a, a young boy, young boy and girl uh, in the face off commercial, lovingly done. This could almost be a 60s music video. Mm-hmm. Uh, he with his neighbor. 
Nehru jacket <laughs> and uh, and they on the the bicycle built for two as they lovingly go around the park singing the praises of face off and what it can do to pimples on your face and pockmarks on your punani. Um, <laughs> this is a uh, it's a crazy film, especially when you when you think of it from two standpoints that this is the creation of Robert Downey Sr. You know, you're just thinking Robert Downey Jr. and and the madcap that he has in a lot of his films. You can see where some of that energy comes from because it is definitely on screen here in his father's film. And this is probably, he was um, Robert Downey Sr. known for avant-garde short films. This was his Probably his biggest feature film right. release, uh, one that he didn't even think would air yet. However, somebody took a chance on him. The people be- behind Cinema Five took a chance on him, put it out there, released it to the general public, where somehow it caught the eyesight of the eyes of Jane Fonda back in this day, mm-hmm. who went on the Tonight Show, sang his praises, and lo and behold, you've got a cult classic, right? Burning up the theaters in New York City. Um, is a strange film um, in that it's really just a bunch of there's, there's a story like you said about this this black guy who takes over the advertising company turns into truth and soul fires almost all of the white people brings in homeless people friends um, uh, soul brothers soul brothers it's from soul the street yeah. Antonio Vargas uh, Huggy Bear of Starsky and Hutch fame comes in as I guess he's some kind of Muslim type of guy. I like I he keeps running around with a towel on his head, looking like he's supposed to be uh, a Muslim guy, praying to I believe Allah. Uh, I don't think he's speaking any type of actual Arabic because in his prayer I certainly heard Allah mixed media in there <laughs> right, at one time. His role in 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 the cast he's actually cast as. The Arab. Uh-huh. Um, this is uh, this is a biting commentary. I can see it being very biting at its time mm. um, in in 1969 uh, as a totally different type of filmmaking. A filmmaking that maybe someone would say you know might argue got its start earlier in the energy and look of films such as The Beatles, It's a Hard Day's Night. Sure. However, sure. it definitely notch, it ramps up the, the notch past 11, past Final Taps uh, 11, all the way up to 12, maybe even 13, because it's a little unlucky, because as biting as this comedy is, it's not funny. It's not, it's, maybe it was funny at its time, maybe it was, um, the, the satire is very surface level, it doesn't really dig into the issues that I think it wants to mm-hmm. and I think that is a product of it being Robert Downey Sr. this uh, older guy mm-hmm. trying to put comedic spin or his idea of satire onto an African American worldview in the late 60s um, you gotta applaud the attempt you gotta applaud the energy that is in a lot of these scenes some of the scenes Um, yet on a whole it's a big big fail the big controversial part is that he casts Arnold Johnson Mm -hmm. in the lead role of Putney Swope Arnold Johnson who 
pretty much is just a character actor his whole time his whole life i know him from seeing him on a lot of 70s sitcoms uh good times uh sanford and son i think he i think he did the the round table on all of them yeah he he was hutch on on sanford and son he actually yeah. when 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 this is more than you probably need no no go go go, go. when they um when they convert Julio's old property into the Sanford Arms. Right. Hutch is one of the first guys. Well, first tenants. One of the first tenants. And they bond because he... I, I'm kind of a Sanford and Son dude. Like, he... <laughs> people are like, why you know all this about this old-ass episode of Sanford? Because I love Sanford and Son. Um, he and Fred bond because he's talking about his ex-wife. Right. And he says, uh, she's a gorilla. You ever meet a woman like that? And of course, Fred is singing about Aunt Esther, so they bond over these two women that they hate. So that's how I like. I saw. I said, "Oh, that's the dude from Sanford and Son." <laughs> yeah. See, that's it. If you watch this, you're either going to say it's the dude from Sanford and Son, right. it's the dude from some other uh, '70s sitcom that you saw, or you're going to mistakenly think that it's Dick Gregory because he kind of because <laughs> he kind of looks like Dick Gregory. Right. The funny thing is, Dick Gregory wasn't that skinny at this and, point. And at that point, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's that's the only thing. That's right. the only saving grace. And that. Dick Gregory probably isn't quite as old at that time. Either. Right, right. I mean, you know, I think he's still fairly young in sixteen. In sixteen, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's still, he's still right, right. a head of black hair and everything. Um, so yeah, so Arnold Johnson is in this film. Uh, his, but you were saying the controversy. Yeah, the controversy about him being in this film. It's not so much him. You know, okay, you want to give a brother a break, you give a brother a break. However, apparently the story that has been been told over the years is that. Arnold Johnson was having trouble memorizing a lot of his lines. Right. So would flub a lot of his lines in the takes. And as you can tell by this film, it is a very low budget film, which meant that low budget means that it's shot on the quick. So there's not a whole lot of time for, you know, going back over not a whole lot of time for a whole lot of takes. Doesn't look like there was anything more than maybe one and a half takes on a lot of these scenes, um, even those scenes without him. Uh, So Robert Downey Sr., wasn't too worried about it because he later went in and dubbed in his voice on top of Arnold Johnson. It sounds like he pretty much tried to approximate the raspiness of Arnold Johnson's voice because he does have a raspy voice. Yes. So he, he he didn't just, you know, just do Robert Downey just talking to scenes. He did try to make it sound like him, but it is his voice that is uh, dubbed over Arnold Johnson on the uh, on on the film. So that you don't lose any of that precious dialogue that he wrote this film, precious, definitely sarcastically. Uh, but that is controversial. It is, it, 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 it is a bit of controversy. And some people think that it's um, maybe a touch of, you know, uh, racism uh, in in the film. Um, I tend to lean on the side of Robert Downey Sr. in that he did what he thought was necessary for the best of his film so that he could get the story over uh, such as it was as best that he could. So I'm not going to call shame on on him for that because a whole lot more to shame about this movie. Um, It's because it's another film like Chirac. I see where you're going for, but it doesn't stick. it, It just didn't stick the landing. Mm-hmm. Chirac was a lot more successful in its attempt. This one is not, and I feel that it. I feel that is because of a failing of 
the director and and mm. that's the writer as well because he wrote the film as well. It's a it's a failing of him with with just coming up with these whole type of loose scenes and all these these ideas that don't really coalesce into anything. They could have. They really could have. Even at um, this is not a matter of it just being a product of its time. I think that you could have taken taken some time, even on a low budget low budget film, even on a film that tries to be so full of energy to really craft something. There's a reason why that first scene, the opening scene, which I told you about when I selected this film, there's a beautiful scene of this helicopter flying into New York. And the filming of that is so beautiful because it's from the helicopter and you're seeing the sky, the skyline of New York uh, as it comes down. And there is this big marketing research guy who's dressed like a hell's angel mm-hmm. gets out to walk into this boardroom of a of the advertising agency, which is filled with lily white sycophants and basically deliver maybe less than two minutes, his, his mission statement on what beer is. And beer is strictly like it. It's just a man's tool and it goes straight to the, straight to the Johnson. And he says something, something about beer is dicky, but in two minutes it's, he's there and he runs out. He, he leaves. He doesn't run out. He leaves. He, he, he did his job. He goes back to his copter. It, in that one scene, it's a, a commentary on advertising, commentating on on the value that they place on market research. Right, that they exactly. fly this guy in for thousands of dollars on a helicopter for two minute. Which in nineteen sixty nine is pretty, yes. pretty revolutionary. Yes, it, and it was it, yeah. it, it was revolutionary, and the the contra- the, the filming of it is is mm-hmm. beautiful, uh, especially of that helicopter. I mean, that may, may be where their budget went to right, for right. that whole helicopter great scene, shot. rooftop yeah. scene. It's a beautiful. Uh, scene, beautiful shot, and then when he goes into the boardroom, there's nothing great about that boardroom scene outside of the the dialogue there, and and all these white guys just going like, her, 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 what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How many syllables, Bob? And all this type type of stuff, and you're seeing these these yes men just yesing each other back and forth. It's that is biting commentary, and all of that is lost. The energy of that is actually the energy of that opening. As that scene wanes on for about probably five whole minutes, all of the energy of that opening shot, those opening two minutes is completely lost. And then the rest of the film is just an exercise in how we can restart that engine. And sometimes they do get it started back up. A lot of time and most of the time that is with the commercials, like we mentioned the commercial for the uh, for the face off. Uh, uh, pimple cream. There's a a very kind of weird, slightly sexy commercial right, for, for Lucky air, Lucky yeah, Airlines, yeah. which yeah. is just nothing but women bouncing up and down. Right. Uh, Shades of the Man Show. Um, <laughs> There's the one for the fan. Yeah. With, with the woman doing the kind of kind of the soul dance. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the alley. And there's actually a very funny one with the little with the woman like skipping around a, a heavyset woman skipping around and then she gets into the Borman six car and it, it flips, over, yeah. flips over. I th- I thought it was funny and it was actually kind of cool because all the commercials shot in color. That's in color. She gets into the car. It flips over and then it cuts because you're backstage and it cuts to the black and white. That was just beautiful editing right, right, right. there. It was. It was, it was it on was. point. I was like, wow, they need more of that it in was. this freaking film. But this yeah. was in the like the last 30 minutes of the movie, unfortunately. Right. Um, 
this movie was just like uh, there's a reason why it's free on YouTube for you to watch <laughs> because uh, oh, I, you're I, harsh. I would not pay for this film. I understand it got a criterion it has collection, a criterion col- yeah, yeah, release yeah. with commentary from Robert Downey Sr. Yeah, um, on it and an interview with Robert Downey Sr. in there. Uh, yet uh, it's free on YouTube for a reason, ladies and gentlemen, because it's not worth your your dollars <laughs> at all. Go watch right. The Last Dragon. Oh, my. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> this is better than The Last Dragon. Right. This is better than... This is a lot better than The Last Dragon. If, if only for the avant-garde sure. photography sure. and and, and um, the some of the commentary. It's, it, it, in so many ways, it is kind of a commentary on its time. It's maybe a little dated, but it's still a commentary yeah. on its time. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to see Alan Arbus... Um, in in the role of one of the white guys working in the at the agency, the only person that's doing any type of competent acting in here, Alan Arbus, who forever for me will be the the psychiatrist Sydney from Mash. Yes. Uh, uh, then I I saw him. I was like, well, there's a saving grace. Um, but th- then it's quickly lost because he's only in like about four scenes. Right. Right. That's my salvo. That's oh, my that's take. It. That's your opening. All right. All right. <laughs> that may be my closing. Right. But this may be the shortest right. mission ever. <laughs> I think satire is hard. I it think is. satire is hard. And I think part of the difficulty with committing satire to the page or to film is that it immediately begins to age. Yes. And, and I think that from a satiric point of view, this film suffers from age mm-hmm. primarily and then you know in a moment i'll say also just kind of perspective and robert downey's perspective and, right. and you touched on that a bit i think you, you know there, there as we talked about the opening scene and 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 the 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 consultant comes in and he talks about beer and and basically that beer is is about men basically with small penises mm-hmm. and it hadn't and so they have to find a way to appeal to him and and they start spitballing uh, ideas and the guys are big and, and the beer should have a big head and big yeah. this and big that and then you you know another person at the table says oh you're about as subtle as an elephant in heat and the guy says yeah we should have an elephant in there too <laughs> pulling and you can see that this is supposed to be this over the top commentary right. on the way that sex sells which then spills into many of the other many commercials, of the, the commercials, like you right. talk about Lucky Airlines, and you you know it's sort of the double entendre about it's lucky that you're on the plane, then it's lucky that you'll also have sex. Mm-hmm. But in 2016, watching them talk about oh, you can say it's got a big head and a big this and have an elephant in there, that's almost subtle when you look at a lot of the commercials, the commercials now. and a lot of the average, so that it doesn't hit as hard as maybe it hit. In 1969, where, you you know, this sort of I mean, we just finished a seven, eight year run of one of the most well regarded television shows in history that the whole thing was talking about advertising. And that. so, you know, the first thing I'm thinking when I see this is like, oh, Mad Men mm-hmm. is kind of in here. But this is 1969. So I think. Right from the beginning, a lot of the bite that this would have had historically is gone just because we're looking at it from our our modern perspectives. And and that is sort of the kindest thing 
I can say about the satire like like that. Um, you, you know, I, th- I think this is a film that that really kind of will go into our ongoing conversation about what is a black film. Very true. I'll because, you know, I think, the other, you know, you have two real fronts of of satire in this film. Mm-hmm. The first is, of course, that we've talked about is advertising and it's this whole send up of the advertising world. And, you know, the most energetic parts, as, as you mentioned in the film, are these these commercials right. that that are literally the most colorful moments in the film. But the other part is, you know, again, this is 1969. Mm-hmm. And everyone in America is grappling with race. Very much. And what does this mean? And the commentary that you get in here, you know, first, you know, the black man is in charge. And, and you know, and he says, you know, the first thing he says is, you know, it's going to be just the way it was. I'm not going to bother things. I'm not going to switch things up. And then it's a, 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 a smash cut into he's fired everybody and it's all soul brothers and they're wearing dashikis <laughs> and this that, and the other. So that you have this, um, I call it the Farn the the Farnham's Freehold commentary, the, the old Robert Heinlein novel from again 1964, because this anxiety was in the air, okay. where you had white people that they thought, if given the chance, black people would do the exact same thing to us that we've done to them. Right. So that the whole film, you know, it starts out kind of subtle, but then you get this this reversal where they have a white lawn jockey and and, you know, uh, you know, Putney gets married and his wife is very abusive to their white maid. And and, you know, there's a white character that they make rod the freight elevator. And it's and it's all very, um, you know, even in 1969, I would argue that this is very superficial. This is very sort very of, much. You, you know, very and it is very much the perspective of, frankly, a white man who doesn't know much mm-hmm. about black people. And the other thing I put in my notes is that in 1970, one year later, Watermelon Man would do a much better job of scrutinizing, you, you know, what would you, you know, this sort of satirical take uh, take on race in America. Exactly. But Watermelon Man is, of course, written by Melvin Van Peebles, directed by Melvin Van Peebles, who, you know, frankly knows a little bit about the intricacies and nuance of race relations mm-hmm. than Robert Downey Sr. does. Exactly. As far as the blackness of the film, I think, um, and, you know, and I, I think, I'm sure your research matches as well. It's, it's funny, when you look at the, at the commentary and the praises that people have of this film, they're usually talking about this sort of energetic maverick filmmaking technique that he employed and and you know and he has all these different cast members and this that and the other or how this really is kind of um one of the early texts that kind of talked about advertising right and this and but you don't read a lot of oh this was really insightful of, of about course. race of course in america and i think that you know i think that little factoid about robert downey senior dubbing the voice of Putney is is like this perfect encapsulation of the kind of um I think the technical term is racial ickiness mm. that kind of flows through this thing because I think is that is that truly the technical term racial it's racial ickiness, ickiness. Okay. <laughs> because I'll just co-sign with you I don't think Robert Downey thought twice no. about any implications of dubbing 
this 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 actor because you know apparently the actor couldn't remember the voices and you know I just couldn't remember and I have this budget I'm trying to hit these marks so I'm going to talk over it and the implications of this white man putting his his voice into this black man's mouth is just not even a concern at the, all the optics are not even in his it, head it's not even in his head and I think that speaks to again the context of how this film is received Right. Like, you know, there's a wonderful interview with P.T. Anderson, the, the director of Boogie Nights mm-hmm. with Robert Downey. And they talk for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes and never mention race, never mention race. You know, they talk about the casting of the two little people. They talk yeah. about, you know, the shots of the guy who exposes himself. They talk about, you know, the different sort of techniques that Robert Downey Sr. kind of employed to shoot this thing. And you read essay after essay. We're outside of the kind of first um, summary of the film where they say, oh, it's some race stuff. There's no real, you know, grappling or or, or real critique of this film as commentary on race in 1969. And, you know, so, you know, you have this part where, you know, it is very much, um, again, it's it's almost animal farm, uh, you know, to pull in another text Mm. where, where, you know, by the end of the, you know, the pigs are fighting with the humans and you can't tell one from the other and power corrupts. And again, just this very kind of superficial and, you know, frankly reflects this real white anxiety that sometimes you still run into. (laughs) Sometimes. Well, you know, I like to think that some of us have become a little bit more sophisticated since 1969. But you have that, but then the other side of it, the the other piece that I that I saw is is this 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 weird almost fetishization that that people had that that some white people had in the sixties of the black power movement. Oh yeah, like you know, yeah. and and it's funny that that Jane Fonda's name is in this too because Jane Fonda was one of the you know, one of the people who, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm not even going to put a qualifier in it. I think Jane Fonda and her role in in the Vietnam movement and with the Black Panthers, there is this this weird kind of um, obsession with the optics of it. Mm-hmm. And you look at how Huey Newton is shot in film and you look at how people talk about him. And, you know, and again, and in this film, it's all of this stuff about guns and you have these black panther, these black militant types, and I just want guns and guns, and, and you know it's uh, um it's it's the running joke where Putney's bodyguard, who is listed in the cast as Putney's bodyguard, <laughs> loses his gun. Yeah, and it's all of this gun stuff. Where again, this is very much a film made from the perspective of someone who has no real understanding. No. Of the civil rights movement, of the black power movement, of anything that is going on at, again, this is 1969, so it's actually going on right now. He's read some headlines, read right. some stories, and then from there extrapolated what he thinks the situation right, must be. Right, right. And, and it, it is especially jarring because I think he has a much better understanding of corporate politics exactly and of advertising. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, I think the, the more nuanced part, there, there's this wonderful part where um where there is there's a negotiation between the one token white oh yeah advertising exec and Putney and 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 he's telling Putney why he should get paid more you know because he doesn't get his paid as he much get his paid is not as much as everybody else's and Putney parrots this wonderful corporate double speak that anyone who has ever had a job 
as her. Before. It rings completely true. Yes. You know, if I do this and I'll have to do this for them and then we're right back where we began. And it's this wonderful double speak. And then the cap is where where the, the employee says, well, wow, I never thought about it like that. And then Putney says, and that's why you're not paid as much. <laughs> but it's this beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. That kind of level of 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 sharp critique is not applied to the issues of race. Well, you can see that his hand, the, the writer Robert Downey Sr.'s hand is sure in in that world when it has to deal with with corporate politics, when it has, or even when it has to deal with the whole marketing agency uh, uh, or advertising as a whole. He has a sure hand on what he wants to say right there. You know, um, everything else is like. Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquees Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh, what's the best way to eat a taco? Vince, with your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Like very surface level, there's a scene where Putney Swope, you know, he announces that, hey, like all these white businesses now they want to do business with the Truth and Soul advertising agency. And he's like, all right, well, it's going to cost you a million dollars upfront cash. So it cuts to a scene where they're in a hallway and they're getting the payment from all of the advertising agencies and they're giving them in bundles and and Putney is handed the handing the bundles to his bodyguard who hands it to somebody else who hands it to a couple of secretaries who throw it up over a wall and then the bundles are landing into a parking lot where they're passing along from one guy to another to another guy who takes basketball shots with the money right and throwing them into what we think is some type of bin or something like that right and i'm sitting there watching that okay where's he throwing the money because that's got to be the capper the capper is where he's throwing the money into right right but you never find out where he's throwing the money into. Right. It's all about just this guy is getting a million dollars and he's doing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhooks right. into something. Now, you know, from 2016 point of view and as paid as basketball players are, they're like, you know, on par with movie stars here as, as millionaires. There's some type of commentary on that, that he's doing basketball shots with the money outside of that. That's just very surface level. What what are we doing? Well, it's it's black people throwing the money, getting the money and throwing it to each other. And then we put it in the bin, which is, you know, <laughs> by the end, it all gets blown up. So what's the point? I well, guess. I guess, you know, what's the point of, you know, it is this real sort of it's it's just all farce. Yeah. You know, it's all farce. And, um, you know, I, I think what, what I thought as I was watching it and I got to the end is something that we always come back to. And I said, is this a black movie? Like it has black people in it. 
predominantly. And you know, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know that I'm a much more open yes. person with saying. But I did say I don't know if I would call this a black movie. I don't think the uh, a, a black audience or the Afri- any you know parts of the African American community you could say this is an audience primarily. I don't think it's a secondary audience. I think this is a this is a film where race and 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 issues about race, even when it came out, mm-hmm. was almost secondary. Like this really is just again. I I think the the energy and the fervor were in other parts of this text, and in the parts about race, it was a white man talking about race, frankly, to other white people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely is not talking to black people. Right. Definitely not. As opposed to just just as a point of contrast, like I was thinking, like I always think about Driving Miss Daisy. Okay. Which Driving Miss Daisy, I think, has a primarily white audience. But if you talk to a lot of black people, certainly of a certain age, Mm -hmm. there is this this sentiment where I like this. Yeah. You, You know, where I'm drawn to this, you know, almost like an imitation of life. Where where where, you know, this speaks to my sensibilities of of sort of, you know, on a very basic level, black people and white people getting along. Right. And this speaks to me so that, you know, something like a drive Miss Daisy, again, you could argue has two audiences. It does. You know, you have this white audience for whatever reason, but then you have this black audience, I think, for a slightly different reason. Whereas a Putney swoop, it's swope. Swope. I, I know I keep saying swoop. Part Putney Swope. I would like to hear more because I, you know, like you, I saw it said that, you know, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle were fans of it. But I would love to hear them. Like why? Like, like, like what exactly about this speaks to you as Dave Chappelle? Like P.T. Anderson, I get, you know, again, the gonzo filmmaking and it, it's in, in sight insightful commentary on this that, and the other and I took from that and this, that I get mm-hmm. I, I need I need someone to talk to me more about a black receivership of this film I would think without you know I haven't spoken with with Dave he doesn't return my calls mm. um, but I would think that as a comedian what I might be taking out of it is in 1969 the daringness to put that out there because they're because as in the midst of the times that in which this film comes out, for it to be a white to put out a film with uh, with this black cast, having them send up, you know, in his mind, anyway, right, right, in, right. from his point of view, having him send up Madison Avenue, right, as they do. There, there, there does take the. There is a bit of audacity and boldness in doing that, in in taking in taking that step and putting it forth, and to a degree, not caring how you're going to receive it. Like he said, he didn't. He he made this pretty sure that it was gonna, not going to get a major release. Right, right. Like the rest of his films. Right. right. So, so there, so there is an audacity to that. That uh, I can see echoing in Chris Rock's old HBO show, mm-hmm. certainly in the first seasons of the Chappelle show, right. where um, you just take the bulls by the horn and you just do it. It feels right. It, it, this is what I want to say, and I'm going to put it so out. So that, auda- that audacity isn't necessarily racialized then. Yeah. It's yeah. just I just happen to be. 
Yeah, just having people. Okay. Well, that maybe kind of speaks to my point then. Like, like maybe True. the reason I like it isn't because it's a black text. It's just because, I, I, you know, it speaks, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Chris Rock doesn't love George Carlin because George Carlin was black. Right. So, you know, it pulls from that as well. Then I think. I, and I and let's be clear, I think that's fair. And mm-hmm. I think as a his, as a historical document, you know, I think this is you know I'll skip to the end and say I think you should watch this. You you do, I do because it comes up. It don't come up that much. It comes up enough that that I feel like you should know about it. And I don't think it's a waste of of an hour and a half. It's a fairly short film. Yeah. You know I don't think it's a waste of an hour and a half. And I think for different reasons. It's a worthy watch. Like, like, you know, again, you, you sort of think about it now and it goes without saying that, you know, advertising and, and all the things that go into and the mind control. And, and, you know, but there's 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 this wonderful shot where where that one of one of Putney's one of Putney's staff is is a black man, a bald headed black man. Yeah. And there's a shot viewing the Lucky Airlines commercial. And there's a shot where the commercial is reflected off of his bald head. Yes. So that it's it's you actually see the image of the advertising going into somebody's head. And even though, again, 2016, that's no revolutionary thought or revolutionary idea. It is still like I thought it was a striking image. It's a very striking image, especially that it's black and white. Exactly. Because it cuts from the color to the black and white right. before there. Yeah. And there are images like that. Throughout the film. Yes. Where kind of, you know, static shots, sequences, mm-hmm. um, where where I, I think it's valuable to, to say, I, I think it is valuable to a person who cares about film, who cares about, um, you know, frankly, representations of black people. Yeah. Because I do think that this is a very particularized representation of black people that you see even to this day when you when you have black characters in certain you know it's 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 funny just to make it contemporary there's a bit of 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 a debate going on right now about leslie jones in oh, the new ghostbusters. The ghostbusters yeah and you know the debate is you know of course in in the original ghostbusters the the, the three white characters are scientists and then ernie hudson comes in and and gets the job just off the street yeah and but of course it's 19 what 84 mm-hmm. and you kind of you know whatever and you don't think about it 2016 you have this same racial setup and i think what, what has kind of drawn me to this conversation cuz i have to say i go back and forth about how i feel about leslie jones's role and leslie jones in general um is that a film that let's face it the, the point of the film is that you're kind of challenging these gender roles like like that's the whole hook of the film that you have four female ghostbusters right i think the fact that the one black character is still the subway worker who in the trailer says i might not be as smart as y'all but i know new york like that's what she says in the trailer that is troublesome but what interests me is that i would bet one american dollar that no one thought about this when they made the film like no one involved with the making of the film said, do you think this might be a little problematic that the one black character is the one that's not the scientist? Like everybody else gets to be the scientist, but she's not the scientist. So that that speaks to me as a as as a fan of the process mm-hmm. that this could get to the point 
where and, you know, Leslie Jones has responded on Twitter. They were caught a little flat people as an audience or, or somebody I need to deal with and kind of go forward. So that's something like I keep right. saying it's swope. It's yeah, swope. In films, you know, and you see it all the time, you know, the way pop culture represented the way people, you know, quote unquote gangs are represented where you have people from the outside are, 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 are really should tell more about themselves than they do the, the group of people that they're talking about. So I would say for that watch, you know, maybe for that reason, because it really is. You, you do make a good point. Uh, it's interesting. I was trying to find it. What they needed, the producer, Project Greenlight. Right. I don't know if you ever watched F- Project Greenlight. I did, but but even that, like when you think about the reception that Effie Brown got from being on Project Greenlight, yeah. a lot of it was what they always tell black people. You're overreacting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you're a bitch. Mm-hmm. Don't you just do what you're supposed to do and stay over there. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Right. This, that, and the other. And I think it really does come down to the voices that tell the stories. And yeah. the voices that tell the stories, who are the audience that they are primarily speaking to? Yeah, I, I, I go back and forth on that whole argument, like you said, about the whole Leslie Jones. And, and I don't know which side of it I'm ultimately going to land, but I certainly see the points and merits both ways. Getting back to Putney Swope, though. <laughs> for just a minute. Um, one of the things that you, you're talking about how satire is hard. Yes. And it is. And doesn't necessarily age well. It doesn't age well, but smart satire, even though it may not age well, maintains a bite sort. Okay. Like the the one commercial. I don't think so much the lucky the lucky airlines commercial, but that face off commercial with the guy and the girl mm-hmm. in the park and everything. You could lift that commercial out of this film, put that on YouTube, and I think there are people that might there are people one that might think it's a real commercial, right? Um, that may take it as a commentary on its time and racial relations at its time, like you said, because it's a black guy uh, and, and thankfully a dark-skinned black guy. We're not talking about light-skinned. It ain't Harry Belafonte. You know what I mean? It's not, Well, because th- there's a point to be made oh, about Lord, that. We've gone almost an hour. Okay. A point to be made about <laughs> yes. that. You know, that it's, that, it's a, that it's a dark-skinned guy and a white woman. Right. A uh, young, young couple in this film, in this little short commercial you for face-off brill cream or whatever. If you take that whole cloth and put that on YouTube, that's a that's a smart little smart little segment. That's that's worthy of the early days of Saturday Night Live, sure. which is not long, maybe three four years after this. Um, so smart satire, it it does it. Is it a little um, a little age to it? Yes, but it still bites. Mm-hmm. Not not too many years after this, maybe one or two. You have um, you have Mash. Which comes out, which is a black comedy satire mm-hmm. on on Vietnam, uh, set in the Korean War. Right. That not black as in an African American text, no, but black no. as in dark. Our dark comedy, dark humor. Um, that we that, might have young people who had never seen Mash. They gonna look up Mash. Ne- or never seen a movie. At least. Ain't no Sorry. black people in Mash. Ain't no ba- y'all talking about spirit chucker. Right. Which yeah. there is spirit chucker exactly. Um, but anyway, it's the, it, but it still is a, a, a satire that still has some bite even today. If you watched it, well, part of it is because war is well, it's, it's eternal. War is eternal, exactly. Yeah, that's you know, true. We all know that is true. But then, but I, 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 I just argue against that 
while satire is hard and, and this does suffer from its age, it's all the more reason that you put a little bit more thought into the satire sure. so that it doesn't age. And that's a it's just a big and, and just to circle back, I, you know, I, I think you do also have to acknowledge that the advertising satire lacks a lot of bite in two, 2016. In 2008 or whatever year it was before Mad Men came on. It, it would have more bite. It would, yes. That's you know, true. That's you, you know true. I think it, it's not fair to this text to say that, you know, one of the best television shows ever is going to spend years deconstructing Madison Avenue and its connection to the American dream and, you know, male white male masculinity and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. So there's that, too. I wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if the makers of Mad Men weren't familiar with this film. It would not surprise me if, right. at all if Matthew, Matthew Weiner yeah. had not very aware of Putney Swope. And then maybe that's the reason why he kept a lot of black people out of Mad Men. But on that note, hey, I love Mad Men. Hey, man. It's real. Well, I mean, you know, he kept them out. Look, he had the elevator guy in the look, first season. Look, I think that speaks to what I, what I when I said I wanted to hear some follow up from Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock. And, and I think I, I completely agree with your read that. I like this as a comedian, as a satirist, as a whoever. I don't necessarily like this for its quote unquote blackness. Yes. Because I think for for the vast majority of black people, because of the way the world works, we liked stuff that was not for us, quote unquote. Like when the people say, oh, well, I made this for everyone. For everyone usually, you, you know, falls back to middle class white between the ages of this that and the other american mm-hmm. so that when you oh, i made it for everyone no that's just your privilege blinding you to who you really made it for amen so that as as black people i mean we you know you and i'm like you you know you're wearing a batman t-shirt as we're sitting here and you know we like star trek and star wars and this and that and the other and there may be an added layer that may appeal to us as black people but there's lots of stuff that we like that we weren't the primary audience. And I right. think Mad Men is a perfect, perfect example. Man. You know, I have to say part of the reason I love Mad Men is because, again, it kind of unpacked that white man bullshit. Yeah. Like this kind of the construction of whiteness mm-hmm. that, you know, I you know, that was there. But, you know, whereas he would say I'm deconstructing American manhood. I was saying, oh, this is some white man stuff. This is you talking about white man stuff. And whether we're talking about Mad Men, whether we're talking about Breaking Bad, mm. whether we're talking about, you know, right now, Better Call Saul, it is all of this white male anxiety yeah. that they're kind of dealing with. We just don't put white in front of it. Right. Yeah. But, you know, again, Putney Swope, I didn't even get that secondary, you, you know, that secondary. It didn't hit you there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, because again, Ironically, race is supposed to be at the forefront, but it's amazingly simplistic. Very. You know, black people had the same opportunity we did. They do the same thing to us. Right. right. And, you know, except they'd all be wearing soul brother suits and <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, and beads and beads. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's um, I think this is a film that going to your question about whether or not this is a black film. I think by definition, this is a black film. In that it is a cast that is primarily black. Um, however, it's a black film that doesn't have a lot of blackness. So if you were grading <laughs> it on its blackness, 
right. it would be it would be a right. three. But, right. But it is a black film. Like the Matrix, the first Matrix has what three black people in it? In the lead, it's, prominent. Matrix. No, 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 no. It's, the first one is just oh, it's no, just right. Morpheus in Tank and uh, the other dude yeah. on on the more on the um Nebuchadnezzar. Morpheus, one of black blackest movies ever. <laughs> Got to disconnect from the machine. <laughs> these men and they, they coming after you and free your mind and it's like this the blackest, this the blackest I ever seen. So I, I, I like that. It's black people in it. <laughs> it's not a lot of blackness. It ain't a lot of blackness. Blackness in it. Okay, nah, fair enough. It's a it's a fail on that. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no sense of belaboring it, ladies and gentlemen, padding the show. That's Putney Swope for you. I still maintain you should see it. I, I maintain that you should see it as well. And, and you know, as, as, as you mentioned, it is available on YouTube. For free. Which, you know, you watch it while you can. Stuff goes up and down on YouTube. This ain't going nowhere. Um, and, and, and there, Been there for a minute. There's also a Criterion collection. That maybe. You can find a dollar bin somewhere. Well, I do. Criterion collections are they're beautiful collections in in the in what the, in the packaging and the, the extra um, extra uh, uh, specials that they put uh, they they package with with the film and everything like that. But there is not much dissection that needs to be done on Putney Swope. And I'll just full disclose, like one of my dreams is that like we partner with them and because. No, really, because I think part of what my issue with the Criterion Collection is that they choose films that I wouldn't choose. Oh, so we partner with Criterion Collection. Right, right. Or, right, or right. they partner with us. Most well, certainly. Right. right. Um, I kind of like listening to the commentary on films in a Criterion Collection. I have no idea why this was chosen. Like, like what is what makes this something that you think I should pay attention to? And oftentimes when I get to the end, I'm, I say, you know, and I think this is the technical term. Oh, you just on that bullshit right now. Right. As opposed to sometimes I'll read and say, oh, okay, well, let me go and watch it again. Yeah, but. So, so I, w- I wouldn't say go buy it. Like, don't run out and buy it. But if you, I, I won't say that it's not worthy of being on there. Like, like if you watch it on YouTube and it speaks to you and, 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 you know, maybe, maybe the, the commentary is, is more insightful or more biting to you than it is to us, it's nice to know it's available if you want more. So go and buy, <laughs> go check out Putney Swope. Uh, it, it, you know, hey, we don't like it, but you should see it. I didn't like it. You didn't certainly so sound like declarative. You're so declarative. Did you like it? <laughs> That's a yes or no question. I don't know if I liked it. I wouldn't say I. I, I wouldn't say I actively disliked this. Like there are some films that I actively dislike. So it sounds like like the aforementioned driving Miss Daisy. Like I actively visceral subjective level dislike that film for a myriad of reasons. And I would not want to put driving Miss Daisy and Putney Swope in the same column. Wow. Well, um, driving Miss Daisy, I don't believe is a black film. Otherwise, it would be a stop on the you, you, mission. I, I tell you what, according to my father and all the old black people I know, it is. Well, if you select it, <laughs> uh, then it'll be on the it'll be on a mission, and that will be a mission that we will both be at different stops. Hey, because I enjoy driving Miss Daisy a lot. 
Oh, well, see, there you go. I I really do like like that movie. Isn't it heartwarming? Isn't it nice how that little lady in the South and <laughs> I like and, that, and that movie. black man they were able to transcend <laughs> racism. I like that, and movie. it kind of makes you think that the segregated South maybe has been miscast <laughs> in history, doesn't it? I just, doesn't it? I don't I, see I mean, it that I mean, way. I mean, it really is. I like don't you had this see little it that way. White man. lady and this little black man, and they had this friendship that transcended race. All the you're my only friend, and, and I don't. And it really, it, it really was heartwarming. It, it really was heartwarming, and it made me think. And 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 you know, certainly that that film that came out the same year and was nominated for nothing, do the right thing. Like certainly, do the right thing. Like how did do the right thing help? You know, how did that help? You know, Driving Miss Daisy at least gave us something to aspire to. I'm not and saying. And it made us re-examine the past. I'm not like, saying. Like when we talk about lynching and terrorism and sexual assault and all of the degradation and things that happened to people of color in the South well into the 80s and 90s. What about Driving Miss Daisy? You had this little old lady and this black man and they were able to have a friendship that transcended race. In much the same way. That you can see, have a film that's about slavery, that depicts all of the brutality and viciousness and and cruelty of slavery. You can have that, and it's true, and and it's impactful. Yes. And you can also have a film that's about slavery that speaks from the viewpoint or or speaks to the story of um, white people that did nothing but try to... Right, right. Abolitionists. Slaves. Yeah, Abolitionists sure, sure. Walking Absolutely. in their favor. Yes. Okay. I think that you can also have a film that depicts a story that, as to some, as absurd, as unbelievable as it may be, a story of two people within that time who, for some reason, develop a true, and I think that that film does that. Yes, it does. And I enjoy that film right. for that. We actually call it propaganda. but It's not propaganda. And, 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 and pardon the pun, whitewashing history. I don't think it's whitewashing yeah. history. Because there were, there there is, a, I'm sure somewhere, I'm st- at I'm, some point, I'm sure that there was a, a case there, there's a story somewhere, to there's there. a somewhere, you know, I'm pretty sure like there was a concentration camp that had a good buffet. <laughs> see, do, see, do. See, you know what? What you're doing is, I'm calling an audible. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm calling. An I'm just audible. saying. I'm sure that there was a guard, and he made little balloon animals for the kids before he took them to the oven. And maybe we can make. You call it balloon animal Nazi, and maybe we can make that movie too. But we'll never make that movie because we take that shit seriously. I'm calling an audible. Okay. Well, I'm not calling an audible. I'm putting it out there right now. I'm going to reach out to my friends. At a Malcolm Comics and Coffee House, 2578 Frankfurt Avenue. All right. I'm going to reach out to my friends there and see if we cannot do the first live recording, viewing and recording of the Michelle Mission there. And that film is going to be Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, all right. I mean, if that's how you want to start the live show. That's how I want to start. All right. Because you know what, Lynn? You're my only friend. It's going to go down. Stay, t- stay tuned. Look for it. If you're in the Philadelphia area, you're on the mission or near, you'll want to get there because we're going to have a viewing 
and a live recording of the Michelle mission is going to be driving Miss Daisy. That's going, we're Can going we to, have a double bill? Can we have it with Balloon Animal Nazi? Balloon Animal Nazi? <laughs> I don't know that film. Balloon Animal I don't know that. You know. We can do it with. Uh, the, there is a film called uh, "Gay Niggers from Outer Space." You want to do it? You want to do no, it with that no. film? You no, know I'm trying to keep a theme. I'm trying to keep a theme here. So we'll do "Drive Miss Daisy." We'll do "Drive Miss Daisy" and "Balloon Animal Nazi." And, and "Balloon Animal Nazi." Yeah. All right, whatever. Um, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, this has been the Michelle Mission. <laughs> that nut over there is Vince. This is Len. Uh, check us out on MichelleMission.com. You can uh, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. It's, it's right there. It's, we're also available on the P- Black Tribbles Podcast Network. Um, next week, we'll have all of your feedback and all of your comments that have been piling up on our shows on Carmen Jones and as well as on The Last Dragon. Next week, we will be doing Medicine for Melancholy. Medicine for Melancholy. Yes, from 2009, 2009, I think. absolutely. And we have a list of our films yeah, post it. Yeah, yeah. So, so go so on Twitter, watch, on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Look for Michelle Mission. You will see uh, listings and posts about what films are, are going to be coming up on the uh, on the Michelle Mission. But the first live show is going to be driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> Y'all can all be my only friends. There will be people. A lot of people decide with me. Did Not you? A, no, no, no. Did you hear what I said from at the very beginning? I acknowledge lots of black people like driving. My father loves driving Miss Daisy. But you, I, I didn't but, you, but you say it in such a way, my father. Like the, the, you said, like it was black people of a certain age. I'm I did. Not, I'm I did. not of that age. Old black people love drama. Well, it's it's like that an imitation of life. I, well, the, yes, they, they they kneel at the feet of all of both of those films. But I do think that uh, there are going to be some people in I, my age bracket and maybe even younger I that complete, enjoy I, driving Miss Davy. I, I agree with you. I just disagree with that. That's all. <laughs> Like I have no problem with being in disagreement with some people over a movie. <laughs> That's fine. Again, all right, we're out of here. Um, <laughs> in parting, we say, "Wubba double la la." It's time to bid adieu, it's been a pleasure knowing you, I'll see you when it's time to meet again.